2: Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by our chief TV critic and my partner in crime, Mr. Daniel Feinberg. What's shaking, Dan?
3: It's all chaos, Leslie, all chaos.
2: Yeah, there's a lot going on, and that also may explain why we are taking March 6th off. So no new episode next week. Uh, We will be back March 13th. And yeah, I'm moving, so I I need some time. (laughs)
3: Busy, 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 and that's without getting to all of the things breaking in the world of TV.
2: Yeah, so let's get into headlines. Starting off, Amazon is teaming with Ava DuVernay and history-making Star Wars director Victoria Mahoney to develop author Octavia Butler's space drama Dawn. The series, which Mahoney will write and direct, has received a script-to-series order from the streamer, meaning if the script comes in well, well, it gets a series pickup.
3: This week in Netflix news, the streamer has handed out a fourth and final season for the Peabody-nominated comedy Atypical, a show that I really enjoy and recommend if you haven't checked it out. We weren't able to have the showrunner on our podcast uh, for the third season, but hey, fourth season means there's another shot.
2: Yes. And and this is actually, we should note, one of a, only a handful of shows at Netflix that will make it to season four is that we've noted multiple times that the streamer does have a penchant for canceling things early in the run and before they become more financially expensive to produce.
3: And Atypical is a big hearted show that deserves to go out on whatever its own terms happen to be.
2: Additionally, Netflix announced it will introduce top 10 lists of its most popular film and TV titles. And before you get too excited, it's a good thing to remember that these lists will be determined by subscribers who watch a whole two minutes of a TV show or movie. So, yeah, these lists are pretty meaningless.
3: We are definitely moving the goalposts on what constitutes popularity. Bit by bit by bit.
2: Over at Peacock, A&E and History have signed a big licensing deal with the upcoming NBC Universal-owned streamer that will include library content for a lot of unscripted series. Among them, Storage Wars, Cold Case Files and history-scripted drama Project Blue Book, among others, will stream on Peacock as part of a larger licensing deal between the two companies.
3: And on the overall deals front, the frequently cancelled Kyle Killen, creator of such great but not long-lasting shows as Awake and Lone Star, and currently co-showrunner on Showtime's endlessly gestating Halo series, has signed a broadcast-only deal with Fox, all shows associated with the deal have already been canceled. <laughs> well, I kid, I kid. <laughs> Kyle Killen is extremely talented, and I would like for one of his shows to last more than a season.
2: Lone Star Revival. Oh, wait, no, that's not
3: gonna If you just put, like, say, 911 in front of it, oh, uh, wait, no, that's not a thing that can happen. Never yeah. mind.
2: Well, with all that out of the way, let's dive into this week's top five.
3: Leading things off, it was a busy week for Disney. All things Disney. Number one. Up first, a big change corporate at Disney, about as big as you can get, really. The Mouse House has named Disney Parks chairman Bob Chapek as its next CEO. Current chief executive Bob Iger will transition to the role of executive chairman, whatever that means, and will lead Disney's board through the end of his contract in 2021. So, Leslie, up first, break down what this does or does not mean for TV fans.
2: Well, it means Iger will now focus more in the immediate future on Disney's creative endeavors, including streamers Hulu and Disney+. And I think, you know, from an outsider's point of view, Disney Plus is only a few months old now, and I think they could certainly use some creative oversight just from my armchair quarterback vantage. This week news broke that a second show is moving from Disney Plus over to Hulu, and and in this case it's the Love, Simon update, which is now called Love, Victor. But sources say that the series, like... Other Disney Plus to Hulu transfer, High Fidelity, featured more adult themes than the family-focused Disney Plus was comfortable with. And that included alcohol abuse, marital issues among the parents, and and as well as sexual exploration, which is obviously part of what the Love, Simon movie is. Meanwhile, the highly anticipated Lizzie McGuire reboot is hanging on by a thread, according to an excellent report from my colleague Joe Otterson over at Variety. The original series creator and showrunner Terry Minsky was removed from the Hillary Duff update. Production remains halted amid a search for a new showrunner. Hillary Duff is actively campaigning for the show to move move over to Hulu as well. And when you think about Disney Plus, it's like great, they had this huge launch in November. The Mandalorian, everyone was all in, Baby Yoda became a cultural phenomenon. And then what happened? The show ended, it's season. Obviously it's coming back at a later point this year. And then what's their follow-up? And that radio silence you're here is me struggling to come up with a name of whatever their next big show is because they don't have anything that's even remotely comparable to The Mandalorian in terms of breakthrough. And it's gonna be a few months before The Mandalorian is back and a few more months until Marvel original TV shows start streaming on Disney Plus. Meanwhile, who hasn't really greenlit anything new that that's really been picked up on the air outside of development? This week news broke that iconic author Judy Bloom, which if you're a a child of the 80s and 90s like me, you absolutely know who that is. But her beloved book, Summer Sisters, is now being adapted at the streamer as a limited series with Little Fires Everywhere showrunner Liz Tigler attached. And obviously we'll have much more from Liz about both Little Fires and the Judy Bloom show during our March 20th episode, but... Getting back on track about Hulu and Disney, it's like I think you need someone to kind of come in and say this is what these two streamers are. Obviously, Hulu is going to be the more edgier, more adult-themed – like they've got Handmaid's Tale, High Fidelity seems like a perfect fit. If you haven't watched it, I absolutely loved it. If you're a music fan, Zoe Kravitz is amazing. But it didn't fit. Like these are shows that are getting picked up for Disney Plus that don't speak to what that platform is. And when it happens once, it's understandable when it happens a second time, a trend starts to emerge. And now with Lizzie McGuire, you're starting to see, okay, maybe they don't really know the development team that was currently in place, that is currently in place, may not know exactly what they're programming for. And at the same time, they don't have any real experienced TV development executives running the show over there. So I think, I think that's uh, – that I think is where you'll see Iger really have a bigger – Possibly bigger, bigger influence.
3: It seems fully reasonable to me for all of these different services to be in the middle of some sort of period of transition. And it's it's obviously a bumpy period of transition. Certainly, in retrospect, the idea that they were developing high fidelity for Disney Plus is ridiculous. And we're able to say that now because we're able to look at what Disney Plus appears to be and we're and able to go... And we've seen the show now, too. And we've seen the show. And so we know... Okay, there is no way that show was ever under any circumstances going to fit with the brand. But if they're trying to kind of refine what the brand is, that's fair. It's just this is the kind of thing that probably could be done in a conference room over a long conversation rather than when you're multiple episodes deep onto a a TV show.
2: (laughs) But it's also really we have to talk about what the Disney Plus brand is. You've got a channel for Marvel where all of those shows are being developed in exact – produced under the Marvel umbrella. You've got the same thing happening at Lucasfilm. You have Nat Geo with their entire established development team overseeing that tab, which leaves the central Disney IP section and any other originals that would fit in there. So if you know what your channels, so to speak, are on that platform, how do you not understand that? well, this is Disney, and we're going for a family-friendly audience.
3: But if you're a Lizzie McGuire reboot...
2: But they knew what the show was. No, they
3: knew what Lizzie McGuire was. But they, they
2: knew what Terry Minsky's pitch was for well, I think for they this. knew what it sounded they read like the it scripts. was.
3: And then they realized for whatever reason that no one anticipated all the pegging that was happening in the uh, first episode. <laughs> you can't see the face that Leslie is currently making. No, but it, like it strikes me that basically if you pick it up, What you think you're getting is kind of the Fuller House version of Lizzie McGuire. You think you're getting something that's exactly that's exactly the same tone that simply is slightly generationally different. It sounds as if what they actually decided they wanted to do was a here's Lizzie McGuire in her 30s in New York City. It sounds like younger. it, It sounds completely and totally like younger, which is
2: excellent. And still on TV land as their last original. So but if they didn't fully immediately realize that what they
3: were getting was an older skewing thing, I, I guess I understand that the love sign or thing- it's not even
2: you know older skewing. I think it's, it's a family friendly is what they're looking for. That's what they're looking for, for originals. And then you've got obviously all the, you know, Mandalorian, which is, four quadrant viewing because you're going to have, you know, parents watching it with their kids, Star Wars lovers and Marvel lovers watching with their kids. Who would
3: anticipate that Lizzie McGuire was not going to be family friendly? I think one of the things but it's
2: it's in the log line. This is, you know, she's in her 30s navigating life. And this is more a more adult Lizzie McGuire show.
3: I still understand why you would not immediately think that meant that it was actually going to be adult. I think there is a large gap between it's Lizzie McGuire a bit grown up and it's Lizzie McGuire that's too grown. Up to be on Disney Plus. I understand why they might have gotten confused. The thing with with Love Simon, it feels like an interesting dancing around of how much progressiveness they're prepared to go mm-hmm. in for. because That's if you, the
2: real problem Because for me. if
3: you look at Diary of a Future President, a Disney Plus show that no one has mentioned. and the, Which is
2: also their first show that is produced from an outside studio. In this case, it's CBS TV Studios and Gina Rodriguez is an exec producer.
3: And it's a show that is is sweet and nice, not revolutionary in any way. But if you actually watch it, it's a wildly progressive show. Like the number of entirely unremarked upon gay or trans characters who are just part of that show's world and it's just not discussed. And but are they
2: sexualized? Uh, like they're, they're, it's, it's one thing to have a character who is LGBTQ plus. It's another thing to actually have them fully dimensional. No, well I, I don't
3: I would not describe it as being undimensionalized, but they're supporting characters and it's definitely treated as an okay, this is just the facts of, you know, this is, hey look, her boss is gay. Hey look,
2: her boss is trans. But it's not actually showing relationships no, or struggles they, or, they're, or they're, any facets of, of who they are besides sticking a label above their character name. But I
3: don't think that they view it as sticking a label above it. I think they view it as being a, here's the universe, we're painting with many different colors in this palette, and this is a, a part of the world, and we want people to understand this is a part of the world. Like So to me, I viewed that as being a progressive step, the amount of... Simply not unremarked upon, but un I don't know, unexplored. That sounds bad. Also, I'm trying to find exactly the right world. Basically, it's well, unsexualized would probably be the simplest way. But then again, the straight characters aren't, you know, screwing on Diary of Future President either. Yeah, it's it is a very
2: it's like, it feels like a YA show.
3: It, it is totally a YA show. So to me, what they're doing is they're figuring out the gradations of what constitutes these different services.
2: Yeah, and let's also not forget that Disney Plus was in development for months. I would almost say maybe even a year on a Muppets update, and that fell by the wayside. They did the same thing. They had this show called Book of Enchantment, which focused on all of the Disney villains. So it's, think about ABC's Once Upon a Time and then from the villain's point of view. And they did the same thing with that, where it was in development for months, and then the, whole, the bottom fell out, and they scrapped it.
3: I just don't think they want to have people thinking of Disney Plus as being as entirely and exclusively young skewing as I think suddenly they've now made people think it is. And I Maybe I, now
2: that they've launched, they actually are getting some analytics on what people are watching and they just greenlit another reboot of an old kids show. You know, so maybe they're learning what the service is as they go along, which totally is are. surprising considering – You know what the service is when you sign up. It's all things Disney. It's all things Pixar.
3: But to what degree is the target audience supposed to be basically, I don't know, 8 to 12-year-olds and, you know, their parents? It's
2: it's family co-viewing, as in parents who love all of these properties watching with their kids and kids of, you know, kids of all ages. So Um, if you've got a Marvel (laughs) lover or a Star Wars lover— there's something for you there too. It's adult stuff. It's it's co-viewing. They want family co-viewing.
3: Whereas I think the initial read on it was for everybody. So I, again, they're just figuring stuff out and probably that will be something for the next overall Disney regime and all of the individual regimes at each individual streaming service because there's going to be an awful lot of left hands not exactly knowing what the right hands are doing and
2: Yeah, and this is definitely a story that is evolving, and I'm sure there will be much more to come in this new regime. So we'll continue to monitor. Well, that takes us to our second topic.
3: Up second, and this probably could have been up first, we have a little breaking news.
2: This just in, procedural king Dick Wolf has signed what sources say is a monstrous new 5-year overall deal that will see him stay at his longtime home of Universal Television where he has spent the past 36 years. I'm going to repeat that again. 36 years producing All Things Law and Order, All Things Chicago, among other things. Sources say that this is another nine-figure deal for Wolf and included in the pact are three-season renewals for four NBC shows. So Chicago Med Chicago PD, and Chicago Fire, all renewed for three more seasons. Law & Order SVU, already TV's longest-running primetime scripted drama, also renewed for three more seasons, Dan. This is a big one.
3: Phew! And when you factor in the three-season renewal that we already expressed much confusion about for New Amsterdam that came at Press Tour, it's almost like everyone associated with NBC could just, you know, take some time off.
2: Go but it's to also beach. It's also stability, and that's what a lot of these networks are looking for. You know, when they know that they have something, they want to keep it around. And look, the Chicago shows aren't going anywhere. NBC's made it a whole night of all three of them. Like SVU is not going anywhere. This is probably a a larger sweeping deal with Mariska Hargitay to keep her around, too. I mean, Dick Wolf is the cornerstone of not just NBC, but of Universal Television as a studio.
3: It's funny. There were several years in a row where... Law & Order SVU was almost always the last show to get picked up by NBC.
2: Yeah, it's had a string of one season renewals, yeah.
3: Which, I don't know that anyone at those points was ever figuring it was truly really on the bubble, like it was in danger, but it was still consistently, it was one of the last decisions and, well, I guess now fans don't need to worry. This has been one where you've been saying really for for months that this was the next domino to fall. Did you ever, for a second, think that he was going to go somewhere other than where he ended up?
2: Absolutely not. Okay, Dick is famous for being incredibly loyal. And like I said, he's been with Universal TV for 36 years already. And this takes him over four decades. I mean, I, I've been at THR for 17 years, so I can't even wrap my head around what being em- employed and working with the same studio for that long is left.
3: Now, distinguish a little bit for the listeners what this deal is versus the deal that was signed with Peacock back in January.
2: Yeah, this is, thanks for bringing that up. This is Dick Wolf's second nine-figure deal of 2020. I just want to say that again, because two nine-figure deals in two months. The first one was in January. It was a big library streaming rights deal that he made with Peacock, which is also NBC Universal's upcoming streaming platform, which we talk about, it seems like, with increasing frequency. But he's basically a cornerstone of the NBCU family. And that streaming deal included select episodes. So I think it was all of the original Law & Order, select episodes of SVU, all three Chicago shows. It was a huge streaming deal because none of those things have ever been on any kind of streaming platform before. And, you know, when we think about Peacock, which is launching at a date to be determined in April, you kind of compare it to what Disney Plus is where you have kind of like a channel of sorts for Marvel and a channel of sorts for – for Star Wars and then a Channel of Swords for Pixar. And now Hulu is going to do the same. They have the FX on Hulu tab. So think of Peacock as having a Dick Wolf.
3: So there's just going to be a tab that says Dick at the top of the Peacock screen.
2: I mean, if they're smart, it's just a picture of Mariska Hargitay.
3: We all make choices, huh? Okay, yeah. so.
2: But also keep in mind that, you know, a couple of years ago, they almost rebranded Oxygen as the Dick Wolf Network.
3: Opportunity and has, missed,
2: And he has three unscripted shows there, too. So, yeah, he is a big member of the NBCU family.
3: And still has a couple of shows over at CBS just just for fun. Yeah. Two
2: FBI shows. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, and, and included in Dick Wolf's overall deal are future series commitments. So this is going to be my prediction is that we will see the long gestating Law and Order hate crimes, the spinoff from SVU wind up at Peacock that was picked up straight to series last year and has been rolled to this season. And there's been no news. It's just kind of been dormant. And then I also think that the New York undercover reboot that ABC piloted last year, I would bet money that they'll probably wind up redoing that and then picking it up for Peacock. Huh. And that's just a prediction. I have no intel on that. That's It's just my gut feeling.
3: The kids listen to you for your predictions, for your savvy predictions. So we've been going over, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about the overall deal space for many, many months now. And it seems like every month or every few weeks, really, there's another nine-figure deal that someone is signing that's ridiculous. And I almost always ask you, who the next dominoes to fall are, and for a long time the answer was Seth MacFarlane, and he signed his own new overall deal. And Also
2: now Seth MacFarlane and Dick Wolf all in the same thing. And
3: Dick Wolf was also an answer, so who's still left, or or is the marketplace dried up?
2: Prolific comedy producer and former TV's top five guest, Mr. Chuck Lorre. I His, know his him. deal is up this summer, too.
3: Okay, see, they, we, we will keep you in the loop on that, because heaven knows the overall deal space is a-boomin'.
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, no one's talking yet for, for the Dick Wolf overall deal. But I think when you think of someone like Ryan Murphy getting $300 million from Netflix and Berlanti getting $400 million from Warner Brothers and both included back-end buyouts of their shows, I don't know that that's the case here because Wolf has a significant ownership stake in all of his programming. And knowing how valuable that is, I can't see him selling out the back-end, especially when these shows are going to run for three more years and possibly more after that. So I would still put this one probably in that in that vicinity. And when you factor in the three hundred to four hundred million dollar streaming deal that from earlier this year, I mean two nine figure deals, maybe these are combined deals. Is it a ten figure deal? I don't know. But combined, maybe.
3: Well, I'm off to get a different job in this industry, Leslie.
2: (laughs) Well, that takes us to our third segment. Up third, let's take a look at the sprawling unscripted space. You've heard Dan and our showrunner guests gush about Cheer, the Netflix cheerleading docuseries. The streamer this week also announced it has picked up a Love is Blind reunion as a follow-up of sorts to its unscripted hit. And in a larger sense, Netflix is not alone when it comes to expanding its unscripted lineup. Joining us this week to talk about growth in the unscripted space is THR senior writer and friend of the five, Michael O'Connell. Hi. Thanks for joining us, Mikey. Thanks for having me. So let's start in the grand scheme of things. You you wrote a great feature this week for THR's print issue about what's going on in the unscripted space. Why is the unscripted fair suddenly exploding?
1: I don't know that it's a new thing. I mean, there's always been such a glut of unscripted programming on linear television, more so than than scripted television, which just keeps compounding and compounding. But I, I think that the impetus right now and what I wrote about was how cable is really just like doubling down on unscripted even networks like TNT and TBS which are historically known for original scripted or syndicated scripted like those are things that increasingly just are only registering on streamers so one way to stand out is to just invest in unscripted because for the most part of course there are cheers and and like outliers but unscripted programming is still like consumed on traditional television.
2: Yeah, and you're also seeing networks like USA and Sci-Fi double down because well, unscripted is cheaper to produce and it, it it's less less of a risk when it comes to these big financial swings.
1: Oh yeah, it's 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 kind of risk. I mean, everything comes with a risk, but it's it's risk-free in comparison. Uh, scripted programming, for the most part, costs like 10 to 30 times more than it would to make an unscripted show. An unscripted show, you can make it really quick. There's a great turnaround. You can do more episodes. So the scale is there. In success, you can have tens and tens, if not hundreds of episodes of an original show a year a fraction of the cost. So it just makes so much more sense.
3: Well, is this just an extension of the various different cable networks that a few years ago thought they were going into the scripted space and then backed away? Someone like a, a WGN, which was like, ooh, we're making all these scripted programs. Like, oh, never mind. And then A&E
1: did that to some degree as well. I don't know about WGN because I don't know. Is WGN still? Yeah, they 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 totally still exist. Yeah, they they still exist. They they pivoted.
2: They got out of producing their own scripted originals with buys from like studios like Sony, and now they're basically like an an Ion Network where they're home to like Canadian imports. It's a lot of Canadian imports and syndicated procedurals. Okay,
1: Um, I would say that a lot of people are following the sort of like. A or Bravo model now of we dabbled in scripted and didn't work. It, I mean, it did for some, but like, but what is working in this, like in this TV economy? Uh Dirty John was like a huge hit for Bravo. It it pulled in big viewers, people liked it. It was nominated for Emmys. They picked up a second season. It ended up going to one of the sister networks. But USA, yeah. it just like you have to be so strategic about these things. And even if it does fit with your idea of your brand, like it isn't a bra- it doesn't seem like a Bravo show. So like they they didn't do it again. Yeah.
2: And I think one of the bigger changes, too, is is happening at USA, which is historically one of the most watched cable, basic cable networks out there and they're you know they at one point had something like 12 scripted originals on their on their yearly schedule and now i think they're down to maybe half of that and they're using them as, as kind of tent poles like they have a you know this evil Knievel show in the works with uh, Milo Ventimiglia starring and it's and they're going to use that as like a launch pad for other like unscripted they're, they're trying to like eventize their scripted rather than just having it on multiple nights of the week and this is part of the bigger shift that's happening is, you know how do you tell what's a hit anymore?
1: It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with USA and TNT as their respective companies focus more of their scripted budget on their streaming output. Because obviously, Turner has. Does Turner exist anymore? No, I it's even, Warner Media. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Warner <laughs> Media. Um, he feels so old.
2: Uh, everything <laughs> is changing so fast. That It's like, is there
1: room for original drama on USA and TNT in five years? And I don't know if the answer to that is yes.
2: Yeah, and you've already seen some of their originals from TNT and TBS move over to HBO Max. So Raised by Wolves it was developed for years at TNT, and that's Stop going bad. Stop making up shows. I'm not, I promise. And then Search Party is <laughs> moving from TBS over to HBO Max, and I think... This is, you know, I think these companies just want viewers in their ecosystem, no matter what. Whether it's, you know, like look at FX on Hulu, it's kind of the same. Look at thing. it, Mikey. Look at it. But like, but you have an FX show <laughs> I like don't know Better how. Things. But you have like an FX show like Better Things that has a linear debut and then it's available literally the next morning on Hulu. So, yeah. which means you're not going to repeat it anywhere, or which means you're not going to watch it on, you know, like on on demand. I mean, it's just you just Disney wants people in there. But ecosystem. then,
1: like the counter argument that is apparently. People were watching Briar Patch reruns after WWE, so now they're putting that on monday nights at 11 o'clock on usa which is a real interesting strategy but
3: it's a very strange strategy is what it is and i don't know how to actually interpret what it says about. is that just people anything. leaving
2: their tv on that that after is, that's wrestling that's always
3: ends? my assumption on such things is that people falling asleep too
1: i am amma- no wrestling? falling asleep i imagine you'd be so riled up after wrestling you'd need to like come down with a little rosario dawson little yeah prior patch. Prior patch. yeah I'm I'm curious about if if
3: you have any take. It's not exactly on the topic of Netflix had been trying for so long to kind of find the reality hit and it hadn't been happening. And suddenly now with The Circle and Love is Blind, it feels like they have. Does that feel like a shift to you? Is that does that feel meaningful? Because it actually does feel meaningful to me that those two shows have blown up in the way they have.
1: I don't think that that stuff I mean they were they were struggling to find that sort of like traditional sort of like I would say like not tawdry but
3: Mike Darnell style is kind of what I would view this stuff as being just
1: like classy question mark reality (laughs) um they've done classy period reality very well with Queer Eye and Cheer which was a docuseries and is definitely now going to be rebranded as a reality show because everyone won't shut up about it um but the circle and love is blind. Yeah, I mean, I think that is its real motivation for the cable networks to sort of recommit to finding new, like, like shiny ideas in the reality space because that's a space that they still technically own. Like Netflix, while it's had unscripted hits, is known for scripted and just sort of binge watching and uh, of older libraries. And and I think that seeing that sort of success on that level is definitely going to make everyone else sort of be like, oh, wait, no, that's our space. Yeah. But is it? I don't know. I don't think so.
2: Yeah, definitely something that we'll continue to monitor as, as things progress in this peak TV era where we can't really keep our heads Can on. We straight. not say peak TV anymore. Do you have a I,
1: preference? Have what to would you say instead? No, I would just be like the current climate. The current climate. Okay. We, we need to name things. I know. I just. Well, let's just address it as the current climate. The current climate. Well, yes.
2: Well, thank you for coming in to talk about the current climate. I am Mikey. always
1: happy to talk about the current
2: climate.
3: We will talk more about the current climate when it's the future climate.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Mikey.
0: Bye. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform
2: This week's Showrunner Spotlight is part two of our terrific interview with Better Call Saul showrunners Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold. Part one was in our January 24th episode and focused on how the duo decided that this was the right time to end the Breaking Bad sequel. In part two, we dive into, well, the two-part season five premiere and Gilligan shares some news about what's next for him post-Better Call Saul.
3: As you may guess from that description, if you haven't watched the first two episodes of the season, which premiered last week, consider this your spoiler warning, because we really are going to discuss those two episodes.
2: Thank you for joining us, Peter and Vince. Thank you for having us.
4: It's so, great to be here. I'm so happy to see you, Leslie and Daniel. This is fun. It's <laughs> fun to be here.
3: I was going to say, don't don't tell us it's fun before we actually get into the podcast. Oh
4: well, edit that <laughs> part out later if I <laughs> if, if it turns out to be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun to be in a conference room in a hotel.
5: I I love it there. It's a nice <laughs> hotel. Yes, the it is.
4: is. a nice hotel. Yeah.
3: Well, I want to talk a little bit about the fifth season, and specifically, sort of starting with the with the premiere and the annual visit with Gene from Omaha, who I find I I eagerly await that one time per year, and kind of wish we get more with it. Going into watching the premiere, I was like, is there any chance that this is a stealth final season that they're just not saying? But then the first episode the gene incident it goes to a cliffhanger it's like okay well I guess we're not ending it here because you can't leave us there what kind of thought goes into those sequences knowing you have to build a story but you have to build a story that you're probably not returning to for another 12 months or longer
4: by the way I always find I I love those black and white sequences so much I think you could kind of skip the rest of the show I just sort of (laughs) i watch those no Oh, that was a joke. Cut that out. That was a, that was a joke, but it fell flat. Cut That's that out.
5: It. I'm fascinated by Gene. You know, it. you're asking a couple of different questions within that question. Uh, one of them is, you know, what do you think about with a, with a cliffhanger that you know you're not getting back to right away? And also, you know, I think that what Vince taught me, what I learned from Breaking Bad, is to kind of just go ahead and and uh, and do the thing that you think you'll never be able to recover from or figure out, because that's tomorrow's problem. <laughs> and as long as uh, so that's and and that's so far we it's a little bit of a high wire act, but it's it's uh so far it's worked for us. And you know also our theory, our working theory is if we can't figure out how a character is going to get out of the situation, then maybe the audience can't figure it out either. And so we, that's what we end up spending a couple of weeks sometimes talking about what, the, what this character's next move is and what, what should they do. And
4: Do you always and, have the next move No, thus far? No, okay.
0: no, <laughs> right.
5: absolutely. Sometimes we have an idea, a notion, but, but uh, often it's wrong. And uh, so the, the, I will say Gene fascinates me oh, because man. he is so different from Jimmy, he's so different from Saul. He's he's a he's a coward, you know. In a lot of ways, in, in this this season, in that teaser, we see a little bit of backbone, and I I'm kind of interested in the worm that turns. So we'll 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 have, I I think we're going to see more. Of
3: and yet, I feel like I ask you every single year after the premiere, what's stopping you from doing an entire full episode with Gene?
2: You know, I mean. So what you're look, saying is final season.
4: Anything could happen. Anything, right? could, ha- anything could happen. Would it stay anything black and happen. white? Would it be a whole season of black I, and white? I love black and white. I do too. Spin-off. I love black and white. Entire
2: black and white spinoff. I'd like to. How I, awesome would that be? I, of I, all the technology
4: yeah. that exists now, that's one thing that you don't see anyone doing. That would be cool. I like black and white. You know, and it's
5: probably too late to do this. I like black and white widescreen. You know, oh, black man, and white, yeah. black and white anamorphic. Is just there's something really magical about that. I don't know, maybe we may be that we've uh, we've laid our cards down and said that uh, Gene's world is not anamorphic. But uh, <laughs> I, I I I love you're, that. You're love the that god that in that this universe. True. You can
4: make it happen. That's true. We have everything.
5: shot scenes. We did shoot a couple of scenes. Uh, I'm not even going to explain what an- anamorphic is. This is. A, I think the I think the can,
3: listeners can, both kind of they know.
5: They don't know what DVDs
4: you, are anymore. You, 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 you mentioned that
5: earlier. I'm, I'm not going to explain that. But we have actually shot a couple of scenes. There was a scene actually in the previous season where the uh, the German workers are going into the uh, super lab construction site for the first time. With the lights going and across. And we talked a lot about that. And we kept saying, you know, it should be like a 2001 A Space Odyssey. And Marshall Marshall Adams, our brilliant DP, says, what does that mean to you? What is it? And we kept talking yeah. about it. And one of the things we talked about was the the highlights the reflections the uh, the way the way the way highlights uh, get shaped by the anamorphic lenses and that so marshall brought in anamorphic lenses for that one that was scene. awesome i'd love to do
4: that i love you know you you're talking tell. specifically yes. in 2001 where the yes. tycho magnet magnetic exactly. anomaly is buried on yes. the moon and they, TMA they go one. down tma1 they go down to the yes yeah yes <laughs> yes we like that we like that <laughs>
5: and also
3: in the, the black and white scene, we get the, the return of Robert Forrester, which is, which is just so beautiful and just so touching. And the second I hear you hear his voice on the phone, you know, you, your heart just breaks. Yes. A, How special was it just to have had that opportunity to give him this send off in this way? You know, it was,
5: it was special. You know, we had no idea that we were going to lose him. We didn't no, know he we, was we, sick. I, we didn't he was, know he was sick.
4: We He was invited to the premiere and he never showed up. And we, I thought, Oh my God, did somebody screw up along the way? And he didn't get his, uh, he didn't get his invite. And then we found out a day or two after the premiere of, of El Camino that he was, he was ill and, and, and his family, he and his family had wanted very understandable, wanted privacy. God, that was a, that was God, what a loss.
5: It. Uh, I'll tell you some of my Robert Forster memories. Uh, one of the wonderful things about Breaking Bad towards the end, in the beginning, we would pitch characters with actors' names, and I won't, and then that actor would never end up playing the character.
4: In this Humphrey case, Boger.
5: the disappear. <laughs> in this case, the disappearer was always Robert Forster. So Robert Forster does this. Robert For, and lo and behold, I got to direct and write and direct the episode that he appeared. He only appeared in one episode of Breaking Bad. I got to write and direct that one, and uh, he. Came in and he is such a subtle, deep actor and so fun on the set. Every member of the crew loved him. He had one of the things that he would do, would he would give out to everyone on the set a uh, a letter opener, and that was one of his signatures. He would give you this beautifully gift wrapped, beautifully gift wrapped yeah. object, a letter opener. And once I remember saying to him, I, "I I got Bob, I got one," and he said, "He said take another," uh, and he was just the most generous uh down to earth guy and i think my proudest one of my proudest moments of directing was uh, uh there was a scene where um he leaves walter white in in the uh, up in new hampshire and he says something to the effect this is beautiful up here you could you could enjoy and i said to him and this is even before we started shooting i said you know with this stuff just take your time you don't have to worry about about making this fast cuz it's television just take your, as much time with this as you want. And he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, you know, I've never had anyone give me that direction before. Because <laughs> usually uh, on the set, you want to, you know, everybody's hustling. And sometimes you want to air things out. And, man, he, he and Brian made such a wonderful pair. And that was, that was really a very special experience to get to work with him. And I, I know, I know Vince feels the same way and we had hoped to work with him a lot more.
4: Oh yeah. Uh, no specific plans, but, but I know it just seems to me, we would have seen him again. I, I no, that, that really, that was, uh, yeah, 2019. Wasn't that great? Yeah. I'm glad it's over. I, I, I miss him. He was, uh, but I'm so glad he's in this first episode of Better Call Saul. It, it was, it worked, the timing could not have worked out better in terms of that because we had to reconstitute the uh, vacuum cleaner store for the movie, and luckily, thanks to Netflix, we had the money to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, Peter would have figured something great out. He would have maybe had him on, uh, you know, maybe he, on camera, but not in that reconstituted vacuum cleaner store because that been, cost a fortune. He was just yeah. going
5: to be a voice, you know, when we broke the episode and when, when I wrote the first the first draft. That was really uh, you and Melissa uh, coming. It was up all with that.
4: Melissa. Yeah. Melissa no, I Bernstein. was. Uh, no, thank God for Melissa because she said, "Hey," and all we did on the on the on the on the movie was we were shooting the Alexa sixty five. Marshall Adams, who was the DP on the movie, did an amazing job. Uh, he and the the camera assistants reformatted the. Uh, we were shooting uh, two three five to one widescreen, and then they just did some magic and turn it into 16 by nine, but we used the same camera for the movie and everything. It was, it was awesome. It was fun.
3: I think it's almost more poignant that he doesn't end up helping Gene in that scene, that it's sort of, he's there, yeah. he's ready to do it. He makes the offer, albeit at double the price, but then he doesn't do the thing that he does. And that's sort of how we leave him. I think that's kind of heartbreaking on a different level as well. So
4: Heart- Heartbreaking. But for me as a fan, just because I had nothing to do with breaking that one, I just enjoy it as a fan. I love seeing Gene, kind of, kind of cowboy up there. You know, (laughs) I was like, "Wow, okay, he's gonna, he's gonna figure this one out on his own." I cannot wait to see what happens next. And me again, Peter is a fan. I mean, Gene, Gene's story, black and white or not. I mean, God knows, I'd I'd love to. I could watch that forever.
5: Well, we have that. uh, You know, we talked about all being boxed in by by all the things we've established. You know, with Gene, that's fresh territory. We can go, we can take, we fresh can take powder. His, fresh powder. We yeah. can take that anywhere, anywhere we want. As long as, as long as it's Omaha. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, you, you mentioned you, hearing you talk about the storyline, it, it it just seems like there's you, so much more in this world. You know, I know you guys were asked during the panel about, you know, if there is going to be kind of this, the star Wars effect of breaking bad, how many more stories, obviously you just had El Camino, but when you think about it, do you want to close the door on that? Do you have other ideas do you want to take a wanna, break and then kind of come back to it?
4: I gave kind of an incomplete answer in the panel. I uh, although it was all true what I said, but I, I, you know what? If I'm being really honest, as I can only be with the Hollywood Reporter, <laughs> I'm at a point in my life where I'm worried that I can't do something new, can't come up with something new. So I'm working on something new now. I haven't told anybody about, it, not even my, my 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 wife Holly. I'm working on something. I, I got to find out if I got something else in me. I don't want it. As I love Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, the biggest blessings of my life, my professional life, and I, I'm lucky to have them. And if it all ended tonight, I'd be, I mean, the luckiest guy in the world. But I want to, if I'm going to keep working, I want to make sure that I can do something else. I have something else in me, so I got to do something else first. And I'm hoping I'll do something else. And uh, I mean, I, I, I tell you what else I want to do. I want to be in the writers' room selfishly. For season six, I want to spend some more time in the, in the writers' room. Peter and the writers don't need me in the least, but I I want to and I intend to spend some more time in the writers' room just just so I could say I was there when this when this thing uh, you know greased the landing. But uh, but I also want to find out if I got something else in me. Having said that, if I could prove that to myself, then maybe someday see what else. We have with the, what else we could do with Breaking Bad, because there is—I mean, any of these actors, for instance, could have a show built around them or a movie built around them. They're that—they're all that good, uh, and I'd love to see what happened, you know, with you know, years from now, you know, like maybe he's living. Who knows? I mean, I, what what what's uh, you know Jesse Pinkman? Uh, what's his life up in Alaska look like? But I—I I wouldn't know where to begin to do that until I see what happens with uh, with Jimmy McGill. And I gotta wait for Peter and the writers to come up with that. So I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to that's a very long winded answer, but I I, I I love Breaking Bad. I love Better Call Saul. I'm proud as I can be of them feel lucky to have them in my life but I'd like to like to do something else first before I would ever revisit it again
2: can you say anything about what the new project that you're
4: working on is absolutely nothing my, my wife would kill me she's she's been seeing me uh, lurking around in our home <laughs> in my home office right in the way and every time she comes in I close the laptop screen because I because she's she's what are you, are you gonna tell me anything I a nope not a thing <laughs> but uh just, and, and for no reason other than I'm just very superstitious i I figure if I i I've, I've had times in my life I was excited about something and I started to pitch them to someone and if for a nanosecond you see in their eyes it's, it's like you're the best poker player in the world when you're pitching something to someone because you're so vulnerable you you see something in their eyes for a fraction of a second of like either I don't get it or that doesn't sound so great or Gee, I really wonder what I should make myself for dinner tonight. You know, then you're like, oh man, it's I, better to keep it to myself until I have something on paper.
3: How about you, Peter, on the other stories that you're aching to tell outside of this world, or do you have more stories in this,
5: in
4: this world, world that
3: you're aching to tell? You know, uh, it's going to be
5: very tough for me to move on from this. Uh, this has been this has been the story of my professional life. Uh, I mean, I've had a, I've been lucky to do other things, but nothing, nothing. Uh, I, I, I feel like I really learned as a writer, as a producer, as a director, as a filmmaker on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Having said that, what I want to do is finish this and finish it right, and then see what see what happens. I think what I think the danger of thinking about what comes next right now is that we might want to keep something open. <laughs> and I remember even when we were on uh, Breaking Bad, we had talked about doing a Saul show, but we would. Sometimes say, well, if we kill Saul, Saul could have Saul Goodman could have died during Breaking Bad. Absolutely. And and if it had been the right thing to do for Breaking Bad, for Walter White's journey to kill Saul Goodman, and boy, I could could it could have happened, we wouldn't be here talking about better call Saul. We have to do what's right for this piece and then see where where we're left. So I really think it's it's a, I, I I know that's anathema. To uh, probably the way you know franchise thinking, you have to think if you're if you're working in a franchise of some kind. But we've never, I don't know, I, I've never thought of this as a franchise or as a, um, and maybe that's 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 sad for me. That's he- much
4: more <laughs> that's, healthy. That's, no, that's the way to do it. I know. Not, but not think of it. As
5: I'm a never going to own a boat, Vince. Uh, that's, You're gonna that's, own a so, boat? Yeah, so it's, uh, so that's that's my that's I'm my, make sure
4: you own. A boat. <laughs> so anyway, the
5: uh, you know we're just following this. We're lucky enough to have the freedom to just follow this where it takes us.
3: And I always lo- love looking ahead at various episodes and seeing how many of the familiar names are always there. Seeing, okay, there's going to be a, a Tommy Schnoz episode. Look at Gordon Smith moving up. I see he's directing this season. Yes, so. he killed
5: it. Yes. Oh, and you know who else directed? Melissa Bernstein. Melissa Bernstein. Oh. Melissa Bernstein. <laughs> Bernstein crushed it. Yeah. and also Pissed me Vince, off.
4: Vince, she she was doing a regular job while she was directing. She's, really pissed me she's off. She's superhuman. She
5: is. Uh, and Vince Vince directed an episode, too. which
4: Hardest like, single thing I've ever directed including the movie. And I'm not I'm not saying that for effect. It's it was it was hard. I wanna, it, it, it I, was do wanna, I do want
3: I do want to ask about that and I guess I can skip ahead in the questions because I did a panel with Bob and it was right after he came back from episode eight and obviously he wouldn't tell me what had taken place. Was he sunburned? But, but all he wanted to say <laughs> was that it was the hardest thing that he had ever done. It
4: was fucking rough, man. I what,
3: what can you tease? And it sounded like it took far longer than most typical episodes.
5: What are you tease trying him?
4: to kill us all?
3: <laughs> I'll tell
5: you, um, I had in my heart, uh, I don't know if we even talked about it that much, but when we started the show, I thought maybe we did. I, I had a feeling of what the show might be. And it the show turned out very different from what we started out from. But having said that, I think episode eight is like of this season is the answer to what, what I was hoping for when we started. Uh the show is so different and I, I we could not have gotten there a better way. I'm so proud of everything we've done. I think the way this season flows and it's it's episode 8 the great thing about the episode in addition to the fact that it's a very special piece of filmmaking is that it fits perfectly it's not something it's not a thing into itself it's it fits perfectly into this series of 10 episodes and it just it just what happens in it uh, happened to be difficult to film uh, so that's that's a, uh, i don't know i don't know what else to say about that except that you know it's and we, yeah having gordon and that's you know that's the other thing you ask about um, wanting to do more Breaking Bad Better Call Saul El Camino that's the really hard thing to give up is this really spectacular group of people and I said you know all through the the crew the producers and uh, you know the writers room um, and I mean I think we've got dream team in the writers room and everywhere else uh, but the you know that's and when we're when it's gone. Every single one of those people is going to go off and create shows that is, they're going to kick, kick our asses. And I can't wait to see what they do. And hopefully, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll hire us now and then. That would be good. Yeah.
2: I'm going to need a job. You know, you mentioned during the panel, that there will be some familiar faces from Breaking Bad coming back in season five, but uh, for season six, you know, do you have to have Brian and Aaron back?
4: I'm, I'm only speaking, I'm, Peter's in, Peter's in charge. I'm only speaking as a fan. I don't think you have to. I really don't as a fan. I would, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to see that, but I don't think you have to. I don't think it's a requirement because this show is its own thing. It stands on its own more than I ever thought it would. And I think that'd be a cherry on top of the Sunday, but you don't have to put a cherry on top of your Sunday. The Sunday still tastes pretty good without a cherry. I don't even like the cherry. Maraschino cherries yeah, yeah. are very strange. <laughs> And, uh, under real, just just think of the hot food fudge. Stuff. Are they real get cherries? the whipped Hot cream fudge too. is
5: plenty good. Yeah. Are those real cherries, or are they like a... I like, think they're irradiated. I, I think once you like leave them in some to fluid to for a
3: long time, yeah. they become that. So it's like an
5: embalmed <laughs> cherry. Yes. Okay. Yeah, get right. that off
2: of my hot fudge. Okay. I don't
4: want that damn thing.
5: You know, I like to think, and I this is probably not true, but I felt that, you know, of course, from the beginning of the show, that was the first question. Walt and Jesse... Which is a totally legitimate question because those are two iconic figures. I I think the my one of my great ambitions as a as a a person who gets to create and write is to create characters who live, and live in people's minds. And I think Vince has created characters. You know, I always think of Sherlock Holmes, and I think that's you know that's a character created over a hundred years ago that is still alive for in many different forms. And I like to think that's an aspiration for us i also like to think that el camino was took some of the pressure off this show because i felt i loved the whole movie so much and i loved seeing jesse and i loved seeing Walt and jesse together that one last time and if if that were the last time those two characters were ever seen again
3: Uh, El Camino, I think it would be a great send-off for them. But we'll we'll see. Well, you talked earlier about your memories of how hard it was to steer Breaking Bad to the end and how many permutations it had to go through and then the satisfaction of having it so well-received. And Vince, you can cover your ears. Remembering all the effort you put into finding that ending, what was your reaction, Peter, when Vince said, hey, I want to go back to that now? (laughs) That ending we did— I need to add on to it. Well, you're talking about uh,
5: Better Call Saul, or no, Ray- no, with El Camino. El Camino. Well, yeah, El Camino. Peter,
4: I, was, I need a private jet.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I got to do this, man. Uh, you know, I was. Uh, I, did, I, I mi- did not get a private. Jet. I had mixed. I had mixed feelings because I knew that Vince had very generously handed me the the steering wheel of this of this bus, and trusted me not to drive it off a cliff. But I also felt like you know, it's it's. Um, it's going to take him away. You know, I won't have him as a backstop if I need him. And, and it's a, a very empowering thing for me to be able to know, and I don't do it very often, but to know that if there's some problem or I'm having some struggle with the show, whether it's a uh, story or cinema or, or anything else, I can call Vince. And if it's, and, and Vince, is, uh, Vince is, he is the, the ideal collaborator and producer. So that, you know, I knew he would be... But at the thing that, frankly, I got excited because I am, number one, a Breaking Bad fan. And the fact that we would get to see more and get to see, and frankly, getting to see Aaron Paul uh, as, as Jesse Pinkman again, I was very excited about it just on that level. So I, I was thrilled. And also, Vince was... I mean, you know, he's... It, it, super. Come cover your ears. He's super generous. And so Vince was sharing... With me and eventually with the other writers, his his outline, and coming into the room and pitching things to make sure, literally, I that it wasn't to, yeah. it wasn't going to screw up anything that we were going to do. No, because, I would
4: have never wanted to do that
5: because, of course, El Camino takes place after Breaking Bad, but bef- possibly before Gene's year. So it's it's all it's all it's a jigsaw puzzle. And Vince very generously came in, and 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 when you were writing, and Vince also, you know, he he came into the office to write and. I we would see him. Our, our writers room is glassed in. We would see Vince arrive in the morning. So that we and then,
4: suck the air out. And then just walk. Oh.
5: And then just walk past the. Gla- and I'd be always say, like, oh, maybe he's gonna come in and we can pitch. Oh no, no, there he goes. He's gone. He's back. He's riding El Camino. Uh, so it, it was. Uh, it, anyway. Uh, you
4: want a thr exclusive?
5: What's that? Yes, we do. Uh,
4: I uh, no, it's, 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 to add on to what Peter said because the Peter and the writers were super helpful and my original pitch. To them was the original original pitch was I said uh, I think it's going to end the movie's going to end with with uh, I'm not kidding I'm not making this up uh, it's going to end with uh, Jesse Pinkman in a jail cell mm-hmm. uh, up near the Canadian border and they said what they said no it's it's kind of it's kinda, it's, uh, it's got a good shape to it he's in in a in a hole in the ground he's kept prisoner but then he's gonna he's gonna save somebody I haven't figured out what character I got to create a character and he's gonna save them after two hours, and he's going to go to jail in their place or something. But then he's going to be at peace because he's back in jail and he's at peace. And the look at Peter's face and all the other writers, they looked at me <laughs> with a look of horror. And they said, you are insane. You can't put Jesse in jail. Nobody at said the you end were insane. Mo- <laughs> well, no, but by the way, enough people tell you you're drunk. You need to sit down. And they said, you cannot do that. You can't have Jesse in a, in a cage at the end of the movie. And, Uh, it was very helpful, and that's why I went a different way. (laughs) Remember that? Do you remember that, though? Uh, Vaguely.
2: Vaguely. You didn't
4: say it was insane. You're very nice. But ever the look of horror, like, uh, oh, my God, don't do that.
2: (laughs) One of the things that, you know, you mentioned that you're working on a new original, but I want to talk about the industry and the state of it right now, specifically the volume. Obviously, 532 shows scripted alone in 2019, but, you know, and and only, I think, what, Twenty-one of them were from Greg Berlanti. Wow! Um, How does I'm, that not, guy I'm do? also not making that up. Have you talked to you guys? Have talked to him? Not we yet. haven't he's, yet, but every person he's he's we've talked to too busy writing fucking. What else? What is his day like? That's I'm dying to know. That's the one story I really, really want to write. Is it's just a day in the life of Greg Berlanti. Jesus. But it also speaks to the demand for established producers who can both write and shepherd other up-and-coming writers and juggle multiple tasks. But One of the things that's interesting about your deal with Sony, like when you compare it, A, financially, it it looks like you're a freaking... Bargain, but at the same time, doesn't it though? But, right? I mean, Shawn is getting a hundred million dollars. I De- love this. Seth McFarlane just got 200 million dollars for, I forget, was it four years, five I'm years? i never getting that private jet. But like, you're more. <laughs> no. you, you, gotta, you, gotta you, gotta, you want a jet. Play,
3: Peter gotta, doesn't want a boat.
5: You got to
4: play. I can, can get drive get a
2: bus. You left him driving You got to
4: play this part of the podcast for your age. I know, you're part. right. I can get that extended leg room on United. <laughs> I I that
2: hey, Chris Silverman, are you listening? But like, Talk a little bit about the desire to stay and, and and not do that, to not lean into just putting your name on a bunch of different things or to trying to do too much, but instead taking the opposite and the more nuanced and thoughtful of, I want to do one project, I want to give it 110%, and I don't want to do anything else besides this one thing.
4: I want to, first of all, thank you, Leslie, I want to quash the rumors that Sony has photos of me blowing a donkey. So. <laughs> Other than that, let's, let's just, let's just, just want put to, that one to I rest want to right out now. My,
5: my teenage daughter is in the room. Here.
4: I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Fiona. <laughs> Uh, let's put that to, to, to bed right now. Other than that. I'm that, glad we got that out of the way. By the way, the way,
2: there's also an AMC uh, publicist here, the, my wonderful friend Olivia, who I've worked with, and I have never seen her lose her <laughs> shit the way she's losing it now. There
3: are a lot of people with red faces in the room at this exact moment.
4: <laughs> well, you know, I got the best agent in the world. I'm, I'm not just saying that because I've known this guy 30 years. He's, he's my buddy, uh, Chris Silverman. I knew him when he was my first agent's assistant. And he's the guy that got me into TV more than anybody else. He was the one who said to me when I was living in Powhatan County, Virginia, he said, you, you might want to try TV because I was writing movies at the time and, and not having a whole lot of success. But the, why, the reason he's the best agent in the world is because he knows me very well, and when I say to him, I don't know how to be a multitasker, I don't know how to be a Greg Berlanti or a J.J. Abrams. It's not, that, it's not for lack of interest or desire, I just don't know how to do it. I, I'm more of a hands. I'm, I'm not. I don't know anything about the way these gentlemen, for instance, just using them as examples, do their do their job. But I I, I just like to be a part of something, in a in a way that would not allow me personally to go off and shepherd many things at once. And there's agents who really just hammer on you, say, "Come on, man! I can make you a deal. I can. I mean, look how much Ryan Murphy's getting. Look how much." I mean,
2: Chris that- negotiated Shonda's deal
4: and did a wonderful job of it and but she deserves it and she and by the way these people do operate at a, at a higher level than I do they are able to give a great deal of mental and creative energy to various shows all at once or simultaneously you know all going on at the same time they you know as jugglers they they can juggle seven or eight balls i i can i can't even juggle 3 i i, I do one thing at a time and i much prefer the deal that i have where people aren't paying me there are i'm already listen anyone in this business gets paid more than they deserve period i mean just like compared to what a firefighter a teacher you know a farmer a police officer <clears come throat> journalist journalist journalist. yeah i'm sorry you can edit that in first but, <laughs> I, but i mean we're all grossly overpaid but i mean uh i take uh, the deal i have i'm very happy with because what it comes with is nobody calling me Every day and breathing down my neck, saying you gotta, we got this thing you want to oversee. What is it? Well, it's a, whatever it is. It's like something I wouldn't it's a, even. It's
2: a reboot of Saved by the Bell. Well,
4: whatever it is, if it's if someone you get to a point, I would think, and I again, I can't speak for any of these other folks. They they got to figure it out better than I do. But I don't want to be at a place where I get a call from the people who are paying me an uh, a obscene amount of money. Versus a ridiculous amount of money, jump up to an obscene amount of money, and they say to me, "Okay, we're paying you, by the way, as you recall, an obscene amount of money, and therefore we want you to shepherd this show to completion." I say, well, "I wouldn't even watch that fucking show. Why do I gotta, <laughs> you know, just so you have to pay me, you know, just to watch this thing?" So I, you know, it's like it's it's I'd rather uh, do my own thing and not not get pressure from the man, and fly, you know, with the extended legroom on United. That that's better than than the alternative for me.
3: And I'm sure we could talk all day, but I'm sensing that we might be running out of time. So we want to get to our sort of last question, which we always just like to ask everyone. What are you guys watching on TV? What are you enjoying?
4: You watch more than I do. I I am so old school. I watch so much me TV, old episodes of Colombo. That's like that's all I live for, man. What what are you watching these days?
5: We watch a lot of comedy over and over again. We watch. I think you should leave I've probably watched every episode of I Think You Should Leave probably eight or nine times at this point.
4: Toast of London. I've, Toast of London. I've watched that. We've I watched that.
5: We've watched that. I've been
2: watching uh, Rick and Morty. Rick and uh, Morty is awesome. And, uh, that is
4: one of the smartest shows on TV. Yeah,
2: Rick and Morty is an excellent, great. That is an
4: excellent show. It feels and like then, there's uh, like
2: 15 and, jokes in every scene. Well, like 15 or 20 jokes in every scene. That guy every. is I mean, smart. Oh yeah, God, there's, I worked for him. It's so dense. Oh, yeah?
4: For Dan Harmon. I, I was That's in right. an episode of as an actress, an episode of Community. That was fun. I worked with Jonathan. Jonathan Banks coached me. He was in the episode too, but not in my scene. Yeah, we,
5: we, I learned something about having you in as an actor. Is that your you're, it makes your everything better? Your performance is much <laughs> better when you're holding you're holding a gun. Of some oh, kind. oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's every actor. And that, <laughs> I can see you really getting into that. The other, the other, Also, I have to say, unbelievable uh, was I just loved that. Uh, that is was, that the one
4: that's going to beat me at both the DGAs and the, and the, uh, and <laughs> well, the WGAs? I'm not gonna
5: say I'm I'm not going to say I'm. I don't. Who knows? Uh, Chernobyl, Chernobyl was Chernobyl awesome. was wonderful.
4: Chernobyl was there's, amazing. Yeah there's, oh, a, yeah, there's
5: there's a lot of that's a there's good a guy. lot of there's a lot of amazing work uh, going on, and, and you know it's it's uh, it's one of the tragedies that we don't get to take watch watch as much of it as, as I'd like to. But
4: uh, I love that Matt Berry. Yeah,
5: oh God, toast. Matt Berry is yes. so –
4: yes he,
5: yes i got to yes. meet. we got to meet him did at, you meet he, him he was at an amc emmy party and uh he is he is a nice guy he's also a musician a singer he that guy is that guy is incredible does he
4: talk like that in real life no,
5: well not he, that's in character i think i he wish got i could the best i voice. wish i could i wish i could talk like
4: that i could i would man i wish i had that voice yeah. <laughs> oh, man, toast, yeah. to toast to london toast of london Toast to
3: London. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us in the podcast this week.
4: This was fun.
5: Thank you so much. This now was amazing. We can say, now we can say it was fun? Oh,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, now well, you, well, 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 you can well, say it was it, fun. Sure it was well,
3: fun. Well, it's it was good, not false It was fun. Better Call Saul's fifth season airs Mondays on AMC. Number five.
2: As usual, we wrap things up with the Critics' Corner. Launching this week are AMC's Dispatches from Elsewhere, starring Jason Siegel, and it's a big week over on FX with the launches of Breeders and Dave and Devs, with the latter, of course, launching on FX on Hulu, plus the new season of Better Things. And of course, rounding out the week, there is, of course, another Netflix show. It's called I Am Not OK With This. Dan, what you got?
3: Well, it's funny. you you When we talked about Hulu and sort of what they have coming up and what they don't have coming up uh, in the Disney segment, we didn't mention that a lot of what that brand is becoming is to some degree, the home of FX on Hulu, even if it's just a tab. And boy, FX has a crazy week coming up. FX is just blowing things up all over the place. Better Things has been in my top 10 each of the past two years. And I can certainly easily imagine it being back there again. Pamela Adlon's dramedy dramatic comedy comedy drama is really one of the best shows on tv it is funny at times it's heart-wrenching at times and it is made with such care and attention to detail i've seen six episodes of the new season and it's just generally terrific and that feels like a fine place to tease that we're going to have pamela adlon on our podcast in two weeks remember we're skipping next week And she gives lots of great insights into her creative process. At some point, someone who gives awards is going to notice that she's one of the best directors on TV.
2: Yeah. Additional, she also talks about a great episode coming up this season in which the c word is muttered a whopping sixteen times. Oh, it's so not look muttered; it
3: is said out loud and proud. Proud. So, yes,
2: it's a great scene,
3: and it's a great interview where we say the c word an awful lot of times, perhaps more than we've ever said it before on this podcast. Which is to say, some. Some.
2: <laughs> um, uh, what 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 about some of these other FX launches?
3: I think Breeders and Dave are both on the more niche side by way of FX comedies, but they're also more comedies than some of FX's comedies. Like, sometimes you watch an episode of Better Things and you really don't laugh, and that's because you weren't supposed to laugh in that particular episode as much. Um, I think that with Dave... A lot of one's ability to tolerate it is going to come down to whether or not you find the main character. Some people will know him as YouTube rapper Little Dickie if you find him amusing. If you do not, you will not like that show. I can say that with pretty great confidence. It comes down a lot to the personality of the main character who is intentionally and perhaps occasionally unintentionally self-absorbed and a little annoying. But that's where some of the humor is. And with Breeders, it's going to come down to how you feel about sort of cringeworthy parental comedy. And again, some people are going to find that very, very relatable. And, and that's I think a great cast, though. It's a fantastic cast. Uh, what is it? It's Martin Freeman, Daisy Haggerty, other people, and our colleague Ingu Kang, who guested it on last week's podcast, reviewed it for us. I reviewed Devs, which is yet another show that is going to be... Some people's jam completely and other people's not. It is created by Alex Garland, and it is very much in the vein of Alex Garland's two writing directing features, Ex Machina and Annihilation. He wrote all eight episodes and directed all eight episodes. And it is at times entrancing and hypnotic and an utterly singular vision I found the ending a little bit underwhelming, and I don't want to say I was disappointed by it, but it hasn't sat with me of, as being of the same quality as the rest of the show. So it's still worth watching, and I think people who know Alex Garland's sensibility will know if it's a show for them. It is, it is sci-fi of a high-minded sort and it's beautifully made. And a lot of the acting is very interesting and very good. And
2: and Nick Offerman playing a role that is very, very different from Ron Swanson.
3: Yes, it is a very dramatic turn from Nick Offerman and proves that he is utterly capable of doing that. Not that anyone should have had any doubts because um, he was also great in his season of Fargo and is really just a very good actor. Regarding other things this week, you mentioned I'm Not Okay With This. It is from several of the people involved in the great, great End of the Bleeping World, and it does a lot of the same things well in looking at teenage discontent and outsider status. Uh, Sophia Lillis, who's basically played younger versions of a lot of great redheaded actresses over the years. She was young Amy Adams in Sharper Objects on HBO. She was young Jessica Chastain or rather Jessica Chastain became older Sophia Lillis in the second chapter of it because let's be real Sophia Lillis started the role and she's really good. The show has a super powered twist in the same vein as something like Carrie, where puberty is used as a vehicle for symbolic superpowers. That part of the show didn't really interest me in the slightest, but I thought that the general coming-of-age stuff was very appealing. It's only seven episodes. They go by very, very fast. A couple of them, I think, are under 20 minutes. I think the longest of them is 27 minutes. It's the easiest binge you can do this weekend. And I think a lot of people will like it. A lot of people will be like, boy, I would like to see more of those superpowered things. And where the first season ends up, Netflix pretty much has to order a second season like now. And I think the second season will clearly be more superpower-y. So you'll get what you want eventually. And the last thing I want to mention is Netflix has its first African original, Queen Sono, coming out on Friday. And it's a little bit like a... South African version of Alias. Uh, It's not quite on that level, but it's one of those. And we talked about this either last week or the week before all of Netflix's international acquisitions. And how Netflix has served as a pipeline for all of these international properties that are in established and familiar genres and kind of introduce viewers to other nationalities, languages, cultures, if they happen to want to click on it. Queen Sono is a very good example of that. It's very specific. It is shot all around Africa. It looks distinctive. Characters speak a dozen different languages. And it's very interesting in that respect. It has large flaws in places, namely relating to its budget. It it looks and feels fairly cheap in places. And in the action scenes, that really does become a drawback in places. But I, I found it fresh enough and interesting enough that I, I hope people check it out. Because again, it's one of the good things that Netflix does is open up all of these uh, platforms to international audiences and opening up American audiences to international formats. So... Queen Sono premieres on Friday on Netflix. And yeah, that's a lot of TV.
2: Yeah. Well, that feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. We'll be back March 13th when we'll be joined by the always great Pamela Adlon to discuss the new season of her FX comedy, Better Things.
3: Until then, I'm sure you've missed one of our earlier podcasts. Take a few minutes to go back and listen to it. I mean, for heaven's sakes, everyone should be a completist. And I'm sure we've done some great interviews you haven't listened to.
2: As a reminder, our February 21st episode featured a great interview with Hunter's showrunner David Weil, talking all about the backlash and controversy that, of course, happened after the interview. But he discussed a lot of the themes that a lot of these groups are finding objectionable. And then, of course, there is always part one of, of Vince and Peter, as we mentioned in January. And, yeah, there's a lot going on, Dan.
3: Until then, be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms uh, if you like us. Rate us if you really like us. Write a little review. You think it helps spread the word of mouth. You can always come say hi to us on Twitter, where we are there to listen to your questions, comments, concerns, and in the case of last week, your recommendations on ways to keep up with our television viewing using various different services, including tracked apparently t-r-a-k-t lots of people wanted to recommend that one if you have questions for future mailbags you can reach us at tv's top five at thr.com that's tv's top five the number five at thr.com until two weeks from now leslie
2: until then dan